It is indeed a blessing, isn't it, to be able to come together to assemble for the express purpose that has already been mentioned. Wasn't it true the psalmist made the statement in Psalm 26, verse 8, Lord, I have loved the habitation of thine house and the place where thine honor dwelleth. The opportunity to assemble and to do so, to worship God in spirit and in truth, is certainly a motivating and a very compelling thing. Certainly, as you appreciate the lesson tonight, it will be taken from the Old Testament, admittedly, but we shall extract a number of considerations really from the heart of the New Testament as we go along. The wickedness of Shimei, that may at first sight be a name with which we're not as familiar as we are with some other biblical characters, but nonetheless, he is a panoramic character on the biblical stage, and therefore, there are certainly some things that you and I can learn of him and about him. Some introductory thoughts might well be in order this evening. As you probably can anticipate, the characters of the Bible themselves form almost a limitless supply of material for Bible studies and sermons. When you and I think about the canvas of characters to which we give attention in the Scriptures, there certainly are some of them, as you can well notice, that are so very memorable and so very encouraging. I've asked you to notice very carefully that sometimes there's great good to be found in them, like the case of Noah. Sometimes also there's all rather noteworthy bad and wickedness like Jeroboam. Much in the Bible has to do with each one of them. And many things, of course, you and I can learn either for the wisdom to be found in what they did or for the foolishness to be found in their mistakes. But it's also true, isn't it, that there are some lesser-known biblical characters. On the one hand, some of them appear to be very powerful and good for the role that they played. I chose to mention Jehoshaphat. You and I can remember, interestingly enough, this woman found in the Old Testament had a very powerful reason and a very strong word of good for the continuance of the kingdom. But on the other hand, there are some who, not mentioned often though, still have an influence that's so bad. Tonight, why don't we look at one in that latter category, Shemai, and see what did the Bible writers remind us about him so that you and I hopefully can not make the mistakes he made. As we do that, let's start the lesson then by giving some thought to the record, the setting in which we encounter this gentleman. And following that, we'll then look at some lessons about what we've learned concerning the record of his life. First, the history. It is found in the books of 2 Samuel and 1 Kings is where we encounter this gentleman. I would ask you to notice very carefully as I try to develop somewhat briefly the matter of this history. I believe you'll find it interesting as you and I notice the role that Shimei played in it. 2 Samuel 11 was a pivotal chapter in that entire book of 2 Samuel. As you and I remember, its 24 chapters can almost be divided around the events of that chapter. Prior to that time, David was on the ascendancy. He seemingly was drawing closer and nearer to God, his life of godliness and faithfulness, was a powerful influence, it seems, to many that were about him. But then in that chapter, he committed adultery. He committed murder. He committed drunkenness. He, in fact, lifted himself to the height of folly and rebellion against God. Things spiraled downhill after that. It might well be that alone is a gigantic lesson, isn't it? That in our life, although it may not be filled with all the pleasantries that we might desire, at least if we're in fellowship with God, at least if we're in communion with Him, 
we can rest assured that all is okay. But when we ever live in rebellion to Him, when we choose to walk in those pathways apart from the faithfulness that He has instilled within His Word, we are bringing upon ourselves nothing but trouble, nothing but separation and distance from God, and nothing but heartache and misery. After the events of chapter number 11 and 12, Nathan came to David and told him, David, you're the man. David did confess his sin. He confessed his error. And we remember, though, that just because he did so, that did not mean the problems were removed from him. Case in point, chapter 15. Three chapters later, we now learn that one of David's own sons, Absalom, the one we remember, known apparently for his handsomeness, if you please, he had long flowing locks of hair. But in that very chapter, 2 Samuel 15, this gentleman, Absalom, rebelled against his own father. In fact, he excitedly cast his father out of Jerusalem. David, under threat of his own life, had to leave the palace, had to leave the capital city for fear from his own son. Can you imagine? Can you appreciate the the nature of this disappointment that David must have felt. His own child would do this to him. And yet, as that chapter ended, we remember that the scenes like these begin to unfold. David left Jerusalem. You'll notice near the top of that slide. But as he left, we have record about a gentleman who had some words for David. I would ask you to think about what happened when David fled the city. If you can picture it with me. As you depart Jerusalem in a particular direction, there is actually hillsides basically on each side. And of course, the David and his entourage that left the city, they passed through these hilly areas. There was a gentleman named Shimei who was very well aware that David was exiting the city. Shimei was happy that David was being defeated. He was happy for the problems that David was experiencing and he was thankful and in fact greatly rejoicing that David was now leaving the city. You might notice some of the wording that the inspired writer stores for you and for me. Shimei cursed David. In fact, the text even says that as David and his entourage were leaving, Shimei was walking along the ridge top there just beside him, throwing rocks at him and throwing dust in David's direction. Not only that, he was hurling curses toward David. David, of course, was near enough to hear what was being said. And here was Shimei cursing David, basically telling him that he had no business ever being king to start with. All those curses, in fact, were highlighted by this statement, David, you are a bloody man. If you allow those things to sink in your mind for a moment, you might use them to appreciate one final thought. Shimei, you see, was actually from the same tribe that Saul was from. It seems that Shimei had a vested interest in the family of Saul returning to the kingship. Now Saul had been the first king, but God had told him, I'm going to take the kingdom from you and give it to one who is better than you are. 1 Samuel chapters 13 to 15. However, we notice that here was Shimei who really was glad David was gone. And he was excitedly looking forward to another of Saul's descendants becoming king again. Be that as it may, you'll notice that this Shimei, as he hurled those curses David's way, we're going to study tonight about the consequences of what Shimei said. 
For right now, let's finish the story. We notice that though David exited the city, God was ultimately again with him to return in victory and in triumph to the city. And in fact, David was only gone a few days. The revolt of Absalom was soon overthrown. In fact, Absalom was killed, you may remember. Joab killed him with three darts. It might be noted then that David soon returned in victory to the city. And when he did, guess who was the first person to meet him? Guess who was the first individual waiting? No less than Shimei. The same one that had cursed him not many days before was now waiting with words of apology. Waiting, begging David's forgiveness and begging that David would look with favor upon him and not take his life. In fact, as you notice near the bottom of that slide... I've chosen to highlight the very word the Holy Spirit did. Shimei hasted to come to David. I suspect he knew his life was on the line. He had cursed David, thrown rocks at him, thrown dust at him, hurled insults his way, in fact accused him of any number of things. And now that the tables were turned and David was again king, Shimei had to eat his words. He hasted to come to David, and you'll notice he apologized profusely. He begged David's forgiveness. That takes us to the next slide. How did David react? What did David say to him? You'll notice that David offered him clemency. He forgave him in essence. He extended to him these words, Thou shalt not die. And later, as we learn in 1 Kings chapter 2, the thrust behind those had been David would not be the one to kill him. It is with that that the saga rather quickly continues. For that was not the last time David mentioned Shimei. Race forward to the time near David's own death. When the book of 2 Samuel closes and the book of 1, Samuel, or 1 Kings opens, we notice that David is now near the time of his own death. He's advanced in age. In his last dying words, he called his son Solomon to him and he imparted to him words of wisdom. He was going to be the next king, of course. But among the things that David mentioned to Solomon was, you remember Shimei. David had remembered this man all those years and what he had said and what he had done. And now he even made note of them to Solomon. No wonder in light of those things... Solomon called Shimei to him. After David died, Solomon called Shimei and had a little conversation with him. And basically, in light of the advice and counsel that David had in fact given to Solomon, Solomon had these orders, these demands placed upon Shimei. Shimei, build you a house in Jerusalem. You see, he really was from Baharuim, a village not too far just east of Jerusalem. Solomon said, you build your house in Jerusalem and you never ever cross the Kidron Valley. You never depart this city for if the day you do, you're going to die. You'll notice near the bottom of that slide, three years passed. Two of Shimei's servants ran away from him. He heard about where they had gone and Shimei crossed the Kidron Valley and went after them. Word was brought to Solomon of what Shimei had done. Solomon called him, had another conversation, and said, You wicked and faithless man. In the verses that John read for us earlier tonight, 
you notice that Solomon then gave orders to one of his chief servants, Benaiah, execute him. Shimei was put to death. And the curtain closes on the Shimei that we have now mentioned so far tonight. I would ask as you reflect upon this person, this gentleman, what are some lessons and matters that I would encourage all of us, as well as the Holy Spirit would, to keep very much near the front of our thinking? Let's start and observe the following. Consider with me for a moment the words and the role that they played in this episode of Shema'i. You've already heard as we un unveil the record a moment ago. Shema'i, when he thought David was being defeated and when he was certain that this man was going to be thrust out and never to return as king. He had words, in fact, of great aggressiveness, words of harm, words of excitement over the plunderous dealings of another. He was thankful for the hardships and oppressions that David was experiencing. And he was happy he was gone. However, not many days later, out of the same mouth came words of apology, words begging forgiveness, words in appreciation attempting to gain the favor of David. Doesn't, among other things, that highlight to us the incredible power attached to words and things that I would ask that you develop with me like this? Words can be extraordinarily powerful. It has been observed that the typical person speaks. This is a little different between men and women, I might suggest. But the typical person speaks thousands of words every day. Thousands of them. Now, I realize depending on the kind of job or employment you and I may have, some may speak more than others, but the fact remains, words are a very vital part of your life and mine. Isn't it true the Word of God encourages us with such marvelous thrust to consider the power latent in those words? Jesus said it like this in Matthew 12, verses 36 and 37. He commented in light of the events of the judgment, Every word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. The Lord had begun that statement, reminding us about even the implications of idle words. Think back to the words that Shimei chose to use. Words of great hatred. Words filled with aggressiveness in light of the problems that somebody else was experiencing. Words almost of thanksgiving for the hardship and defeat that somebody else was having. Maybe in light of all those things, you can of course develop the thought as you can see at the middle of that slide like this. Sometimes you and I find ourselves in the midst of a very emotional moment. Times when things develop. Maybe you get up in the morning and you never think about things happening that way. And if we aren't careful, words can stream forth from our lips. Words which we too, not many hours later, are going to wish we'd have never spoken. Words that we regret we ever uttered. I'm sure Shimei more than once regretted after the tables were turned and David now was in the ascendancy again. You can sense in his language the fear that was within him. He wished he'd have never said what he had done to David. He never dreamed the consequences were going to be this. He never thought David would again be the victor. Have you ever known someone, maybe you yourself, 
speaking something, never dreaming of what future consequences may hold, but then when the tide does turn and things don't work out the way at first you thought, you have to eat the very words you previously had uttered. Maybe all of us at one time have been in a circumstance where we have to eat those untasty words. They don't taste too good going down, do they? Surely in light of that, you and I might note the admonitions found so frequently in the Word of God. Admonitions like these in the closing verse of Psalm 19. David, David, the very one who himself was cursed by Shema, said this, Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of mine heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my Redeemer. Did you note with me the way that that verse began? Let the words of my mouth. Maybe you and I always use a silent moment of prayer, perhaps as we start a day or during the course of it, to beseech God that we might have wisdom relative to what we say and relative to the way we say it. Those thousands and thousands of words that we speak every day, they are leaving impressions on others. Sometimes they're directly teaching others by what we say or what we choose not to. Sometimes they are leaving indelible marks on the minds of others who witness and hear and watch. We must be careful and recognize the power contained in our words. Shimei apparently didn't understand the point. We hope he came to recognize it sometime later in life, of course. Another verse I would ask you to notice is the marvelous plea of Psalm 141 verse 3. Same writer again, David. Same individual who himself was cursed by Shimei. And there he pleaded with the God of heaven, Set a watch, O Lord, over my lips. David pleaded with God to set a watch. Perhaps you can appreciate with me the thrust. Think about the watch over a city. There were garrisons perched at the various watchtowers around the cities of the ancient world, watching with care to see if any enemy was coming. And also these would have a tremendous role to play in the opening of the doors and letting commerce in or out. For you never wanted to open the doors and let the enemy in. David pleaded with God, set a watch over my lips. May my mouth stay closed when it ought to be, but may it be open when in fact I need to say that which is the thing of God. What a simple thought, but yet how profound, isn't it? We've noticed finally in Colossians 4 verse number 6, the inspired writer Paul stated it like this, that all of us as Christians, those individuals interested and eager to serve God, that we will in fact be such that our speech is always with salt, seasoned with that very matter. As you and I speak with grace and as we allow our language to be seasoned with salt, what about the way that you talk and what about me? I have, near the very bottom of that, asked us to at least consider some matters that sometimes make that more challenging. Sometimes you're in a heated discussion with someone. Someone doesn't have the same perspective or point of view that you or I do. And in the course of that discussion, the tone of the voice raises... Emotions rise. Sometimes the heart begins to beat with rapidity in the chest and we say something maybe that we wish we hadn't. Have you ever been in a quarrel? Call it an argument if you like with someone. And then in the moment, in the heat of that discussion, again you say what you wish you hadn't. 
sometimes even say what frankly isn't true. All of us must be cautious because as those emotions rise, as those matters within us, and we understand as humans that we must be cautious, but isn't it true that we should note this? Nowhere in all the Bible do we find any passage that excuses our language even in moments of heated discussion, even in moments in which we have a quarrel or argument. Nowhere does Jesus say, well, only in those times may you speak in advisedly if you like. Doesn't that encourage us? We always could be in control of our language. We must be. Wasn't Jesus a prime example? One who himself was treated as he was in the final hours of his life in the flesh, and yet he sometimes during that time didn't say a word. Pilate and others were amazed that he was silent. But on other times he did say things. Maybe that's itself a reminder of the power in these words. What about the second lesson? You'll notice at the bottom of that slide, one of the reasons why we appreciate the needfulness of thinking often about the power of these words is this fact. Words can hurt. Maybe you or I have been on the receiving end of hurtful words. Someone who has spoken to you in ways you simply cannot forget. You'll carry it with you to your grave. Think about what happened here with regard to David. Did you notice earlier we said that at this particular moment in life when David was being forced out of the city by the rebelliousness of his own son, here was Shimei rejoicing over David's heartache. Here was Shimei happy that David was suffering this way. And here was Shimei commenting as he did relative to the terrible things that had befallen David and his family. But did you notice on his deathbed, David told his son Solomon about it. David apparently carried with him the things that Shimei had said the remainder of his life. He never forgot it. He never forgot the things that Shimei had uttered. Despite the fact that Shimei had begged his forgiveness, despite the fact that Shimei had pleaded for forgiveness, Shimei was not forgotten by David. David remembered what he said. I would ask you to notice the language David uses as he speaks with his son Solomon. The very matter we're discussing tonight. 1 Kings chapter 2. I would ask you to notice beginning in verse 36 is the statements on this occasion of David to his son. As you come to the point, I'm sorry I gave you the wrong chapter. Chapter number 2. Verse number 8. 1 Kings chapter 2, verse number 8. As David reveals to Solomon, listen to what he says about Shimei. And behold, thou hast with thee Shimei, the son of Gerah, a Benjamite of Baruim, which cursed me with a grievous curse in the day when I went to Maenaim. But he came down to meet me at Jordan, and I swear to him by the Lord, saying, I will not put thee to death with a sword. David remembered with vivid detail the time he fled due to Absalom's revolt. He was fleeing to Maenaim and he said, You've got within your kingdom the same man that cursed me. He's still alive and I haven't forgotten it. And Solomon, you need to beware of this man. We'll develop that point more in just a minute. But in, among other things, doesn't it allow us to close that slide this way? The words that you and I speak... Sometimes they can 
lead to thoughts in the minds of others for a lifetime. They aren't easily forgotten. They aren't quickly dismissed. As you and I look at that more carefully, let's be more specific about the ways that these words can sometimes do hurt. May I submit to you, sometimes the words we speak can hurt ourselves as much as anybody else. For they speak about the nature of the person we are. If we speak hurtful, damning words of another, that says something about the condition of our heart. And it says something about what's dwelling in our mind. And it speaks volumes about the kind of person we are. So our words do tell a marvelous tale about the kind of person we are, don't they? Words of godliness and words of holiness bespeak a soul that's that way. But words that are condemning and words that are mean and words that are inadvised and words that are ugly speak to a spirit that also isn't as refined spiritually as it ought to be. Our words can thus speak a great deal about the harm they bring to us. Look at Shemai's case. Here was one who had cursed David. And not many days later, he had to beg David's own forgiveness for fear of his own life. Have you or I ever, to use that old proverbial phrase, shot ourselves in the foot with our own words? I've said something to somebody and later that comes back to be the very thing prohibiting me from doing what I would very much prefer. Have you ever known of someone who didn't get a job promotion? Because at some point in the past, they had said something in a way to a superior that ultimately betrayed the fact of the kind of person they were. They couldn't be trusted. And the leadership came to realize then, in a place of leadership, this person would not be the kind of individual that would be appropriate. That person had brought about his own demise. Isn't that true? And can't that sometimes happen to any of us if we aren't cautious? This same gentleman, Shimei, you'll notice, had to plead for his own life. What about those words of admonition? Those words that you and I might find in other verses that challenge us along that same line. I would ask you to think about Matthew 5 verse 37 with me. Jesus on that occasion was speaking in the Sermon on the Mount about this matter of swearing. But there seems to me to be a very amazing truth that attaches right to the end of it. A truth that's very de detailed. Jesus said, don't you swear by heaven or earth or anything in it because you don't control them. Those things belong to God. And therefore there's no business in the life of a person devoted to God for swearing and taking that kind of an oath. But then he said, let your yea be yea. And your nay be nay. For whatsoever is more than this brings condemnation. Maybe one interesting point in that is to reflect on too many words developed in the wrong way are not good and they're not healthy for one's spiritual life. Let your language be on point. Say what you mean and mean what you say. God was that way, wasn't He? In the nature of His Word, He has said what He meant and He means what He said. We have no reason to hope for leniency because God did mean what He said. And at judgment, it shall be exactly the way He has detailed it. Our language should be like that. When we make promises to other people, keep them. One of the strongest teachings of the Old Testament is that very matter. Read Numbers chapter 30, verses 1 through 3. 
Or we read later in Ecclesiastes 5, verses 1 through 4. We have powerful condemning words to anybody who didn't keep their word. If you made a vow and didn't keep it, that was a serious, serious character flaw. And it was even punishable in various ways. Today, are you and I people of our words? Or do others get the feeling, well, he said it, but he doesn't mean it. Sometimes as parents, we have to be cautious about that, don't we? If our children ever get the sense that he doesn't mean what he said, they'll feel the freedom and liberty to do whatever they want. Dad and mom have to mean what they say, and they have to say what they mean. And us as grandparents and as others, all of us are in that category, aren't we? Words are powerful, and even youngsters soon sense when we really don't mean it. No wonder as we consider this following admonition. What about the control the New Testament asserts with regard to the tongue that you and I have? It is amazing, isn't it, what power is latent in the tongue? In James chapter 3, beginning in verse 1, there's a lengthy discussion of the power of the tongue. It's an unruly evil. James said, no man can tame it. That doesn't mean we shouldn't try, though. And it doesn't mean that we shouldn't strive to bring every thought into captivity to Christ, to quote 2 Corinthians 10, verses 3 and 4. For we realize that even in the tongue, it is something we must strive with wisdom to bring into the thought that out of the same mouth should never proceed blessing and cursing. Doesn't that remind you of Shemaiah? He cursed one day and had to ask for blessing the next. May you and I with wisdom not find ourselves speaking with forked tongue that way. We must be individuals who learn from the wickedness of Shemaiah and strive to do far better than he. You'll notice one final thought, point number three in the lesson tonight. It seemingly would be such that we ought to highlight the disobedience found in the life of Shemaiah. I simply use that one word to highlight it. For you heard earlier as you and I looked at the scene that ended his life. Remember what happened. You may notice that Solomon came to appreciate that Shimei could not be trusted. Remember, David warned him of it. Shimei said this to me one day and begged my forgiveness not many days later. Here is a two-faced man. He'll say whatever the culture of the moment demands of him. Thus David told Shimei, told to Solomon, you can't trust him. As a result, what Solomon do? He said, Shimei, you build a house right here in Jerusalem, in the capital city where you can be watched. You can't be trusted. You'll notice he said, don't you ever cross the Kidron Valley. Remember, Shimei's hometown required he cross that Kidron Valley. Three years passed. Three entire years we notice that Shimei was wealthy enough to have at least two servants and they ran away from him. Across the Kidron Valley they went and he went after them. Solomon learned what he had done. Called him to him and he in fact directly challenged Shimei. You heard what had been said to you. You knew very well the statement. You had to stay in the city never ever crossing the Kidron Valley. The lesson text took us back to that very same chapter. Notice again the way chapter 2 of 1 Kings closes. I'll begin reading in verse number 43. Solomon speaking says, 
Why then hast thou not kept the oath of the Lord and the commandment that I have charged thee with? Don't you wonder the kind of facial expression she had? Here was Solomon directly saying, Why didn't you keep the commandment you were given? Why didn't you do what you were told? Verse 44, The king said moreover to Shimei, Thou knowest all the wickedness with thine heart is privy to, that thou didst to David my father. Therefore the Lord shall return thy wickedness upon thine own head. Solomon in that moment said to him, Shimei, you know the wickedness that's in your heart. You know the kind of untrustworthy person that you are. You illustrated it when you dealt with my father David. And now God is going to return on your own head the very just rewards of what you've done and the kind of life that you've lived. That's a frightening consideration, isn't it? Let's use it to develop these thoughts. Shimei acted very foolishly, didn't he? I realize that he lost some property when these slaves ran away. But notice he didn't have to go after them. Why couldn't he have, in fact, sent an embassy to the king and said, My property has departed. Send soldiers to bring them back. No doubt Solomon would have, in the duty of his office, have done it. But Shimei didn't do that. He foolishly ignored the very command he'd been given, and he went out after them. What height of folly? What height of absolute ridiculousness? However, that same wickedness continues to challenge all of us today. I would ask you to think for just a moment as we close this slide this way. Look at the kind of things that fill Shimei's heart. Solomon directly said, you know the wickedness that's in your heart. The kind of life that Shimei lived wasn't anything he didn't understand. It wasn't anything to which he was not aware. He knew very well the kind of two-faced character that he had. He simply appeared to be the kind of person who would say whatever at the moment would be to his own advantage. When he thought David was out of office, that's when he was against David. When he thought David was in office, that's when he was for David. There's some today that are that wishy-washy, aren't they? There's some today who are that inconsistent in what they do and say. Shame on them, and if that's you and me, shame on us. The truth is not to be compromised or negotiated, is it? It is not something that flows with the ebb of the tide. The truth's consistent, and Shimei was not that kind of man. He ought to have been. And Solomon here basically said, because of this kind of behavior, God's going to return on you the very judgment due to the kind of life that you've lived. And within a matter of moments, his life was taken from him. Shimei died. As you come to the last part of the lesson tonight, let's close our lesson by bringing ourselves to that very same thought and matter. Shimei seemingly was far more concerned about the things that were to his own personal advantage. But you and I are reminded so often not to be in love with this world. 1 John 2 verses 15 and following, we're commanded in various ways to obviously put the kingdom first and to let truth be the highest consideration before you and before me. Think about the day of judgment for just a moment. Don't you suspect 
that among the things uttered that day by the very Son of God will be questions not unlike the very one Solomon uttered to Shimei. You had the commandment. Why didn't you obey it? You, don't, you didn't have to go to hell, but that's where you're headed because you did not obey what you were told to do. Notice Shimei had no reaction. There was no response. There was nothing he could say. It was no one's fault but his own. He didn't have to leave Jerusalem the way he did, but he chose to. And you and I don't have to use bad words and foul considerations. When we do it, it's our choice. Even in the flare of a moment and when circumstances are difficult, we can be in control of our language and we can be in control of our actions. As we've learned tonight, words are powerful. And the use of them is closely guarded by the things that God would have us to understand with great care. And not only that, we've learned that those words can be so hurtful both to ourselves and to others. Surely the matter of disobedience in Shimei's life is a challenge to us not to make the mistakes he did. May we allow our words to be consistently true and faithful. May we in fact be those who are people of whom Ephesians 4.29 are so very descriptive. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth, but that which is good to the use of edifying, that it may minister grace unto the hearers. Surely then, we've perhaps reached a moment in which we can close our lesson with this invitation. If you have been a person whose words have been harmful or hurtful to another, and they perhaps have been of a private nature, at least in this audience tonight, go to your God in prayer. Beseech His forgiveness. And in fact, if you need to make it right with the person that you spoke those things to, do it. Matthew chapter 5, verses 24 and following urges to do that. But if you have spoken things in a public way, and maybe you'd like the prayers of this assembly tonight, a faithful Christian you have been, but your words tonight do not bespeak the kind of character that you know you should have. Why not let us pray to God for you? We'd be excited to do that. If you need to come back to your first love in that regard tonight, this invitation is extended. If you've never become a Christian tonight, don't you want forgiveness of all the improper things you've ever said? That can happen as you obey the gospel. Believe Jesus to be the Son of God. Repent of your sins. Confess His name as the only begotten Son of God and be baptized. If we could be of assistance to you in that way tonight, it truly would be an honor. And it would be such a night of celebration. If we could help you tonight, I hope we'll use Shimei and the mistakes he made so that you and I won't make the same ones. If you'd like to come right now, though, during this time of invitation, do it at once while together we stand and while we sing.